Okay, come on in, grab a seat. Welcome to our seventh class. We're going to review, um, we had a week off, did anybody come last week? Okay, so we didn't have class last week, so good. Uh, <laughs> wait, why? Why? <laughs> I'm not sure how to receive that. <laughs> I was gone, so. Uh, so uh, we, we missed a week. So we're going to review question six today together. And then we're going to introduce, try and understand what question seven is. And that's the one we're going to memorize this week. And then we'll, we'll look at question seven next week. So let's pray. And then we'll get started. Father in heaven, thanks for gathering us together today, for bringing us here safely, for giving us uh, people to see and, and Bibles to read and songs to sing and prayers to pray. So thank you, God, for even this class now. Help us to understand what it is that your word teaches and then take that truth and embed it deeply in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, let's do a, again, let's do a bit of review. I'll ask the first, can you turn this down a little bit, John? I'll ask the first five questions. We'll, we'll go over those together. I'll ask then the question six from last week. See if we've got any uh, gum mongers out there. And then we'll get into question seven. And I'm gonna, we're going to move through it maybe if I can a little, even a bit more quick than we usually do. Because I, five minutes ago, I thought of something I wanted to change in my sermon. So I need to I need to move on to that. Uh, all right. Question one. Let's say together uh, the answer that is question one is what is our only hope in life and death that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our savior, Jesus Christ. Question two, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Now, that's, that was a long one, so that's great if you still remember that, but it is not as long as next week, so buckle up. Question three, <laughs> how many persons are there in God? Let me help you out. There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance Equal in power and glory. We had more voices that time. Question four. How and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in His own image to know Him, love Him, live with Him, and glorify Him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to His glory. Getting closer. Question five. What else did God create? God created all things by His powerful Word. 
and all His creation was very good. Everything flourished under His loving rule. Question six, we'll say it together, and then I'll see if we've got any kids that want to say it on their own. How can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, commands, and law. Okay. Question six, how can we glorify God? God. Okay, Caleb in the back. Stand up loud and proud. How can we glorify God, Caleb? Nice. Is anyone else appreciating my my accuracy on these? I mean, if this was a sport... I've gotten really good at throwing packs of gum. Just wa- if you have a, <laughs> except for the time I hit your wife. That's right. <laughs> Sorry again. That was embarrassing. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Um, Logan. Is it Logan? Okay, Logan. Stand up. How can we glorify God? Nice. What happened to your arm, Logan? Nice job, buddy. <laughs> this bench, right? Okay, Reagan, you want to give it a shot? Stand up. How can we glorify God? Good job, Reagan. Okay, who else? Oh, let's go up to the front. Kingston, stand up. No, you got to stand up. How? Oh, all right, you can do the question too. His wah. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Did you guys hear he said the question too? He wouldn't even let me do the question. Okay, Aiden, loud and proud, how can we glorify God? You're good. How can we glorify God? Well, you, you said the beginning, we glorify God by. That's in there. That's in there. You're stuck on the first one. It rhymes with fenjoy. We glorify God by. I knew you knew it. Nice job, Aiden. Nice job. Okay, uh, you young man in the back, stand up loud and proud. How can we glorify God? Nice job, Bowie. Did you see that? (laughs) That's money. Okay, I forgot your name, so remind me. Gavin Owen, that's his middle name. Okay, Gavin, how can we glorify God? 
Nice job, Yavin. All right. Owen, stand up. Question six, how can we glorify God? Nice job, Owen. Okay. Even the backhand is working today. Anyone else? The church is spending a lot of money on gum. I'll tell you that right now. It is totally worth it. Okay, so that is a good job. That is question six. How can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. So remember, okay, these, these questions and answers are written in a logical order. Okay, this is helpful as we put it together. So what we have learned is that God has created us to glorify him. So that is that is why you have been made. That is what you are for. Okay, if a hammer is for driving in nails, if a chair is for sitting in a person, a human being is for glorifying God. And this then answers the question. How do I do that? If that's what I'm made to do, if that is the purpose for which I have been created, how do I actually do that? What should I focus on? And it's this. Enjoying God, loving God, trusting God, and obeying God. Okay, so that was question six. So this week, now let's move on to question number seven. Let me introduce it. What is God? Maybe it's longer. I haven't done a word count. I think this is the longest one so far, but maybe maybe what is God was longer. But here's question seven. What does the law of God require? And let me read to you this answer. Personal, perfect and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. The kids' version is this, highlighted in yellow. What does the law of God require? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's question seven. So let's make sure now that we understand it. Let's look at this a phrase at a time, starting at the beginning. What does the law of God require? Because we just learned in the last question that we glorify God by obeying his law, his will, commands and law. So what is his law? What does God require of us? That's what this question is answering. Personal. Personal, which means you must obey. I must obey. This is not a collaborative effort. This is not a just a corporate thing where we pick up one another's slack. You personally, as an individual, are responsible to do this. I personally am accountable before God to obey Him. So it's personal. Also, you and I must obey perfectly. Perfectly. 
the standard is perfect obedience, not partial obedience, not like a C or a B plus or an A minus even. It's 100% of the time. That is what the law of God requires. That means that it there, there's no there's no allowance for error here. There's no sweeping anything under the carpet. There's there's no uh, exhortation in the Bible to, to to try your best and to try your hardest. I mean, the standard has always been personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That means it's not enough to just have a great day and obey God perfectly, though none of you have probably ever had a day where you've obeyed God perfectly. I haven't. Perpetual. What does that mean? That means that you and I must obey God perfectly every second of every minute of every day. That's what is meant by perpetual. On and on and on and on, over and over and over. That is the daunting standard for all of us. So we learned last week that we are to obey God's will, commands, and law. And and this question obviously is looking back to Matthew chapter 22, which I'll read. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. You remember in that text, Jesus was asked by his disciples, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus summarizes. He summarizes the law by saying this and. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And you you hear this verse, obviously, in this answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So personal perfect and perpetual obedience that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. That is every part of us and love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm just going to close this door. It's already hot outside, so we need to keep all the doors closed. If any of you end up greeting people, we need to keep the doors closed this morning. Not locked, just closed. What was that? As much as we can, yeah. Like, let people build up before you open it and (laughs) let them in and (laughs) shifts. And then finally, uh, what this last part is here is a clarification. Okay, it's 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 zooming in on this. And the clarification is this in regards to our obedience. What God forbids should never be done. And what God commands should always be done. So sin literally is missing the mark. So if there is a, a target that God has for Christians. okay, and there's a there's a there's a dead center bullseye on that target anytime you miss that dead center bullseye technically you are in sin so you've 
maybe heard these phrases, sins of commission and sins of omission. So sins of commission is when you commit something, when you do something that God forbids. Right? There's a lot of that in the Bible. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And when you do it and you commit, you're committing a sin. Those aren't the only sins that you commit. There's also sins of omission. That's when you omit something, when you don't do something in your life that you're supposed to do. So there's actually more of that in the Bible than there is of the other. There's more positive than there is negative. There's more do this, do this, do this than there is don't do this. And it's important that we do both. There are things that God forbids and we should never do those things that God forbids. We shouldn't make little allowances in our life for a little bit of this or a little bit of sin or it's okay to not do this sometimes or it's not a big deal or look at him or look at her or at least I'm all those games that we might play to sort of encourage us in sin. The standard is no, never, never. If there's something that God has forbidden, I should never do it. As well, if there is something that God commands me to do, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, I should always do it. So I wonder if this feels like a high standard to anybody. It's off the chart. The, the standard could not be set higher. So a few things. And I'll quote from some of the commentary that we have in along with the catechism. A few things first. And and this is very important. Keep in, keep in mind, if this is the standard, this is what the law of God requires. Remember, Christians, our obedience to this is motivated by gratitude. Our obedience, our following this standard is motivated by gratitude. A Christian looks at this and says, I get to do this, not I have to do this. A Christian, this is why David could say, I delight in God's law. This is why we should delight in God's law, because our, our heavenly father, who we love and fear and want to please, when he tells us explicitly how to please him and how to not please him, a Christian is glad to hear those things because a Christian loves God so much that he or she wants to honor God wants to please God, wants to obey God. So God, give me your standard. Give me your law. It's motivated by gratitude. So think of it this way. And again, this is very important. We obey God because God loves us. We do not obey God in order to get God to love us. Those are two very different things. Some would say one is religion and one is the gospel. One is a good motivation. One is a poor motivation. If your motivation in obeying God is to is I'm going to obey God to get stuff from him and to get his approval and to get his love. Well, first of all, you'll you'll never work hard enough. You'll never obey God well enough. And you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is. Okay, God loves me. He has accepted me in Christ. Therefore, I obey. But we, I tend to mix those up. You tend to mix those up. We tend to think, I obey, therefore, I'm accepted. That's why God and I 
right? We're reconciled. That's why we're good. That's why I have his approval. That's why we have relationships because I'm a good, I'm a good person or I had a good day or I've had a good week. And then the opposite is true. I had a bad day. I had a bad week. And so I don't think I have God's love, his acceptance. That's not true. He may not be delighting in you. And of course, he is not delighting in you when you're in sin, but he loves you. He's not going anywhere. He's committed to you. You're forgiven because of Christ. So this obedience, this this standard striving is it has to be rooted in thankfulness. It has to be rooted in gratitude. Here is a, a quote from Juan Sanchez. When you ask, what does the law of God require? The short answer is perfect obedience. Now, that sounds daunting, but we have to understand the context in which the law was given. It was given in the context of grace, God's saving initiative. When think about the law given in the Old Testament to Israel, when God rescued Israel from Egypt and brought them to Sinai and declared, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, he essentially then said, I will be your God and you will be my children. So the context of the law is God's saving initiative. The perfect obedience that the law demands is a response to God's saving initiative. And it is a wholehearted devotion. So it's in response to what God has done. It's not to get God to do something. Not to get God to do something. The way that the Old Testament puts it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6.5 The context of grace motivates a response of wholehearted devotion to the God who saves. It is a response of faith that is called love. And that love flows to love of neighbor as well. By the way, if you're obeying God begrudgingly, if you're obeying God to get something, if you're not obeying God out of love for him and thankfulness for what he has done, God gets no glory in that. He's not glorified by that kind of obedience. It means nothing. It's what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah called filthy rags. It's like bringing, it might as well be heaps of garbage that you're bringing to God. You say, well, I'm obeying and I'm doing all these good things. Yeah, but you're, you're doing it on, the, the, this, on this false premise that, that God is somehow satisfied with your good deeds and so now he's going to love you and accept you. So he's not glorified in that. But rather, when we do it because we love him, when we do it because we're thankful for what he has done out of gratitude, then he's glorified. But parents, you totally understand that. You totally understand that. Because you know the difference, and I know the difference. Some of my kids are here. There's a big difference between my sons or daughter obeying me begrudgingly and obeying me cheerfully. In fact, that's the rule in our home, right? You have to obey, and there's two, there's two qualifications to your obedience, right? Jackson, what are, what, are, what are they? You have to obey what? Yeah. Man, I, those weren't the words I was looking That's That's good. Quickly and respectfully or quickly and what else? What other word instead of respectfully? <laughs> Blaze, come on, man. What? That's prompt. Like, respectfully is good. Cheerful was the word I was looking for, right? But the point is like happily and right away. You know, respectfully is good. That's probably a better word. That's probably a better word. So right away and cheerfully and respectfully. And so you know the difference. Like if, if your son or daughter 
obeys you begrudgingly, and it's like a have-to thing, right? You can, you can see it. You can see it in their face. You can see it in their body language. You can hear it in the tone of their voice. And you're not getting any honor out of that. You're not getting any respect out of that. You're not, you're, you're, it's not happening. Whereas if they do it cheerfully and happily because they love you and they respect you and they trust you, there's nothing better. Things are, things are working the way they're supposed to work in the relationship. The same is true with God. Same is true with God. So we've got to obey him out of gratitude. We're thankful for his grace. And then another thing to say is that, which is the obvious, I think, is that none of us do this. That's a problem. Like bells should be going off. If that, if this is what the law of God requires, then I feel like I'm in trouble because I don't, I don't do that. I mean, what happens in this country if you, Usually, if you if you break a law and you get caught, right, you get a consequence, right? Well, it should be. I said I said most of the time, right? You pay a fine, you you go to jail, whatever. There should be some sort of there should be some sort of consequence. And so I'm in trouble if I understand this standard and I know that I don't obey it. I mean, none of us obey God perfectly. None of you will ever. If you live to be 120 years old, you will not obey God perfectly in this life. You're not going to get there. It's not going to happen. So you've got a standard here. You've got a standard that you cannot possibly meet. Perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. But here's some good news, and there's more good news to come in the catechism. But for those of us who are Christians here, for those of us who are believers, we are able to obey God and you're able to obey him more every every year, every month, every day. But you're growing in Christ, you're maturing as a Christian. Before you were a Christian, you actually weren't able to obey God. You weren't able to glorify God. You weren't able to honor God this way because even the good things that you did, Romans says they were not from faith. So it didn't honor God. It didn't it didn't please him. It was still sin. If you're a Christian, be given the Holy Spirit of God, been changed and transformed, you can actually honor and glorify God. You can actually strive for this in ways that you couldn't before. And you can get better and better and you won't be perfect. But you can grow in this and that should be your goal. So we're able to do that. Let me read you two texts from the Old Testament and then I'll close with one more quote. Uh, Jeremiah 31 31 through 33 was in the Old Testament. And this is looking forward to a new day, a new day when God would give his Holy Spirit to indwell his people. That would be you and I as Christians today. Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming. And now these days have come, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, we read about that in Deuteronomy on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. So that's the difference going to happen and has happened for us. And then I think there's further clarification of whatever that is. 
in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart. This has happened if you're a believer. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. This is describing what has happened to you if you're a Christian. Now, what will the result of that? That's pretty significant. Going to take a heart of stone, going to take a hard heart, give a soft heart. Going to put the, the Holy Spirit in you. Going to write God's law on this soft heart. So what will the result of that be according to Ezekiel 36? And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we're able to obey because God, by giving us his spirit, is enabling us to obey, which keeps us from ever growing proud or arrogant. Okay, let me close with um, a few more quotes from Juan Sanchez, the commentator that I quoted from before. Jesus came to do what we ourselves could not do. This is the catechism is going to get into this, right? This is all a big setup, right? This high standard and the and the law and what does God require of us? It's getting us in a position where we're really going to be thankful and, and grateful and understand who Jesus is and, and what it is that He's done. Jesus came to do what we ourselves could not do, which is that. While remaining fully God, Jesus came from heaven and took on our humanity in order to save us. As our human representative, Jesus fulfilled the law of God by perfectly obeying God's commands and by paying the penalty of death that, that all lawbreakers, you and me, owe. The gospel, so the gospel is an announcement that all who confess that they are guilty of breaking God's law and turn away from their sins and trust in Jesus, have their sins forgiven, and Jesus' perfect obedience accounted to them. So this is a setup for that good news. Through His life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus inaugurated the new covenant with its promises of a new heart, Jeremiah 31, and the indwelling of God's empowering spirit, Ezekiel 36, we read those. Our only hope of fulfilling what the law of God requires is the new birth that was promised in the new covenant. Those who are born again to new life in Christ have been granted a new heart and God's indwelling spirit which empowers obedience. Finally, the good news is that under the new covenant, God's people are empowered to obey God's law. Once again, we see the commands of God do not establish a relationship with God. Obedience is our response to God's saving work. It is a loving response of faith. God has saved us in Jesus Christ, and we respond by trusting in Him in loving obedience. Okay. So let's close by answering this together one more time. What does the law of God require? Personal, perfect, 
and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time that you have now given us, and thank you for the word through your prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses that we studied today. Thank you for the words of Jesus that we studied today. But thank you, God, for the truth they represent. God, help us, motivate us, encourage us by the gospel and gratitude to personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. God, help us. Help us to never do what you forbid, and help us to always do what you command. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.